Amid this pandemic, we hope you're all being safe and staying home. During this time, we know many people are bored, bored at home, including us. Uh, it's a little bit of a problem. <laughs> we wanted to let you know that our sponsor, Caffeine and Legends, is offering a sale during this time. You can head to legendarybox.com by clicking the link in the description to take advantage of this deal and use code FBOM10 for even more savings. Please stay home, stay safe, wash your hands, and don't forget to read a good book. Now on to the episode. Okay, it sounds like we're all here. Yeah. Are we ready to go? <laughs> Who's in charge of this episode? I got it, unless someone else wants it. I'm good. <laughs> all right. Well, hello and welcome to the Fantasy Book of the Month podcast, F Bomb, where we talk about books that we've read and general themes in books. Uh, with me today are Katie. That's me. Dan Evanson. It's me, Dan Evanson. <laughs> Dan Evanson. <laughs> the He's famous a <laughs> Nick Evangelista. Howdy, howdy. Rachel. Hello. And I'm Peter Schaefer. And this month's theme is Animal Companions in Fantasy Books. And uh, we have you know, a bunch of books to talk about, but also just the general theme of fantasy books books with animal companions and that seems very repetitive and should be cut out so uh what do we <laughs> what do we think about them i mean there have been a lot of books with uh like wizards familiars or or books with uh cute little sidekicks that go along with the fantasy hero i mean last last month i read the chronicles of Prydane. And uh, you could almost consider Gorgi from the from those books to be an animal companion. I mean, he's a character, but he's a weird little sidekick that's covered in fur and kind of animalistic and just always supportive. So this 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 thing shows up all over the place in a bunch of different forms. I don't know. So who's read Wheel of Time here? I have gotten through parts of it okay so uh <laughs> so there's the horse uh that they bella Bella, exactly um, don't forget that there's also um mandarb and wow i can't remember right now uh, mandarb is land's horse right yeah i uh clearly i remember that a little bit but i think B- bella has more character right so what makes what makes man (laughs) (laughs) sorry i just stepped on an empty water bottle (laughs) i'm sorry that you stepped on an empty water how did you step on an empty water bottle (laughs) because i stood up yeah step one have an empty water bottle step two step on it Step three: Be scared Step by it. Step on it while recording. Yes. Um, Sorry, guys. Okay, but so so both of those are horses. They're in the same book, but also, I mean, clearly, like Bella came to mind to me, but Mandarb didn't. So, what's the difference between the two of them? Well, Bella exists in a weird place in the fandom for that because for the longest time, people were throwing around half serious theories that she was the the god of that universe and wait what or, and or the devil. <laughs> 
because she kept popping up in the in the books at random important moments and had an important impact but she was seemingly just a horse uh she just happened to be the main character's you know old old favorite horse Hmm. but she never she didn't talk she was not she ended up being not magical or terribly special beyond that yeah once the series ended did the, did, did the series like explicitly say that she was just a horse or did it just it ended and nothing special happened with her uh in the conclusion of the series uh when they're wrapping everything up and again that for the wheel of time that is actually a different author than the author that started it that's right uh, i think bella and the main character rand get a scene together where you know i, I think like by the end, whatever happens to Rand, Bella is there with him. So she does pretty. I think she qualifies pretty well as an animal companion, although she's not in like every book. But yeah, but she's certainly there. Fr- I guess apparently from the beginning all the way through the end, and the characters seem to care about her. But I don't know. I mean, how much character does she have? Does an animal companion need character? Well, you can have somebody like Roach in the Witcher series who doesn't have character, but is given character by Geralt with his interactions with them. How is that? I mean, how so how does Geralt give Roach character? Is it just yeah, how does that work? I haven't read like um, from at least from my interactions in the game that he has like dialogue to Roach and like he talks to Roach at certain points and there's uh. a. F- there's actually a funny quest in Witcher 3. Uh, I think it's the Blood and Wine expansion yep. pack where Roach, uh, Geralt gets really high and Roach starts talking and they go on a murder mystery. <laughs> oh, yes. wow. Oh, my. Yeah, well, yeah, so Geralt is, like, forced to eat mushrooms and uh, it causes him to hallucinate. But although there's yeah. sort of, like, this underlying implication that maybe it wasn't a hallucination and maybe really with just Roach... But that's an expansion pack, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, that kind of the roach giving him a personality kind of reminds me of, like, okay, don't get mad, guys. Like Frozen. <laughs> sure. Like uh, Sven and Kristoff's little relationship. How oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Kristoff, so like talks for him and such. Yeah. Right. Okay. So Sven is clearly an animal companion. Um. Or um, Maxi from um, Maximilian from Rapunzel, uh, Tangled. Oh, uh, Maximus. Maximus was almost a, I mean, more of a character. Uh, I, I mean, I think. Where are it, we drawing the line between character and animal companion? It, right, it, and that's kind of hard. It's a tricky thing. I almost think that when it's hard to separate the two from each other, you know, I think that is sort of one of those. Like, moments. is that when you have an animal companion, when it's kind of, like, hard to decide? I think so. Typically, when I picture an animal companion, it's, it's, it's a duo. And oh, you mean, you mean it's a person and the animal? Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Whereas Maximus uh, leaves, leaves behind the captain of the guard in the movie pretty quickly. Whereas, uh, in contrast, in that movie, uh, Rapunzel has the chameleon. Pascal. Pascal. Thank you, which is clearly an animal companion. Um, and, yeah. yeah. Also, the animal companions seem to have more human tra- traits rather than animal traits. They're, mean, like, they're, they're, they're thoroughly like personalized, pers- personified or something yeah. like that. Uh, anthropomorphized. Well, in those, yeah, yeah, in those Disney movies, they are. But I mean, like Roach is 
Yeah. Just, just a horse. Yeah. Just a horse. Well, or uh, let's see. But he's a lovely horse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a favorite series of mine that is the uh, the Vlad Teltosh series by Stephen yep. Bruce, which I know I recommended to Rachel and and you didn't thoroughly enjoy, and that's fine. Um, but the main character has a literal animal companion. Familiar. Uh, uh, yeah, familiar named Loyosh, uh, who, but who can uh, speak to him in his mind. So like, Loyosh is fully a character in that it's like human intelligence, um, but doesn't really have a, a, a place in the world that isn't next to the main character. Uh, you kind of see that in Aragon as well with Sophia. Yeah. Uh, aren't they aren't they like bonded together? Yeah, and Saphir talks via tele, uh, telepathy. And the the same is true in in the Taltosh books. Yeah. Hmm. You know, um this is actually I I did write some notes as soon as we picked this theme because I was reading a few books at the same time that all um were sort of uh leading me to this interesting bit, uh thought process here. This idea of um what is the difference between like an animal or animal companion and a, a human and and where do we draw that line between humanity and just being a an animal in in these stories so in particular i was reading uh listening to this audiobook it's not very good don't recommend it um <laughs> called uh the land founding it's a lit rpg ah. mm-hmm. so it's you know uh, it's it's very video gamey. The character is lit- the main character is literally like sucked into a video game, sort of online style, and uh, oh. yeah, it's and he he. <laughs> that reminds he, me of something that I had to read recently. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but he he unlocks this uh, thing called a soul familiar, which is like a little dragonling familiar of his. They can speak to each other telepathically or literally or whatever. But because the the world interacts like a video game, he actually levels up his familiar over time. And as it gets stronger, it actually unlocks um, more sophisticated speech. So it starts out only being able to communicate in one word sentences with him. And then it upgrades to three words and then six words. And interestingly like we see this creature become more human-like throughout the story and uh making its own decisions rather than following commands that kind of thing being able to hold restraint on its actions instead of just eating everything in sight it listens to him so is it becoming more humanized or is it coming becoming more like sapient or sentient whichever and that's that's sort of the question i mean you know it, it almost sort of begs the question of does a intelligent sword count as an animal companion to a degree well and again i mean so like where where do we where does where do we want to draw the lines like are you an animal companion if you're human level intelligence if you're a person um does it really is it really just a matter of being an animal and a companion because you could be a human companion right Mm. i say we draw the line at being cute you have to be cute. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm cute. So Pikachu. Done. <laughs> yeah, is like so an animal companion, yes. Well, Pikachu is totally an animal companion. Well, is Baby Yoda an animal companion? I was thinking that too. <laughs> because Baby Yoda is explicitly of a species that we don't really think of as animal. Correct. 
these are the hard questions yeah. we face here on the Fantasy Book of the yeah. Month podcast. <laughs> yeah, the, the hard questions that, that our, our audience has come to expect. Non-Star Wars watchers talking about Star Wars. <laughs> what, you don't watch Star Wars? No. No, we've, we've gone not. over this. this. Oh my gosh, it still bothers me. All right. That's I don't like Star Wars. Nostalgia. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's all by Disney, so it's jo- all right join there. us at, at Nostalgia Plus, where we'll be forcing Rachel to watch Star Wars soon. Uh, so. Just one, uh, just episode two on loop. No, no. you are mean. <laughs> I've already watched episode three. I don't remember anything, but I've watched episode three. You don't remember the sand? No, <laughs> I was sick. Oh, it gets video. everywhere. <laughs> I was a youngin. I was forced to go to the movie. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry for taking us off topic. <laughs> uh, well, um, speaking. <laughs> yeah, you know, in a way, uh, like I said, I, I kind of think that Animal Companions, uh, I think they, they really can't be there. I think that generally speaking, they're a half character. They're not a full character. They can't necessarily stand on their own. I think that's because they're, they're a partnership. Because they're well, because I, of their companionship with the the characters. Yes, but I do think that the main character who they're partnered with can stand on their own. I just don't think. Well, that but so are you saying that in a kind of uh, existential way or in a narrative way? Right? Because like, is it that the animal companion is not mm-hmm. capable of existing? without its partner or that narratively they just don't carry the weight of a full character i think i'm speaking narratively because that's that i agree with i agree with that um i think i think the nature of being an animal animal companion is being a like a support structure or a a strut uh to to a main character a sounding board so is a sounding board or a you know an aid or an assistant a, a supplement they're they're there to to uh, support and aid in the characterization and narrative arc of a main character. Since we have the qualifier of animal, it, I think it kind of excludes everyone that's not of the animal kingdom because you can have companions like R two D two, which is a robot, which is mm. clearly a companion to like uh, Luke Skywalker and R three P. What is his name? C3PO. Yeah. Oh my there goodness. Go. Yeah, yeah, but in a, in a way, R2 does fill that role. Yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't like speak explicitly, right? Yeah, and he is a sounding board for three C3PO. <laughs> right. <laughs> you are struggling. That is not that is not my lack of Star Wars dollars. That is my dyslexia. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that must be a hard name. <laughs> I like three PBO. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. Um, I was mixing up a character name in Gargoyles the entire time. It was hurting my brain. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, often the animal companion is like, oh, we need to pick this lock. Let me release this squirrel and he'll climb through the ducts and open it or whatever, you know? That's What books are you reading? (laughs) Squirrel companion. You get my point. It's that type of, uh, you know, aiding that they do. And in many ways, R2-D2 fills a lot of those roles. Oh yeah, I mean, I think think in the realm of Star Wars, you don't have animal pets, you have droid pets. Right. Which is gonna, I was gonna lead into that new Star Wars game that I know Nick has been playing. Yeah. The the ginger fellow and his little robot guy. 
Would you consider his little robot friend a animal, well, cyborg type companion? Yeah, definitely. Because I know that it like sits on your back and heals you when you need it. And I don't know what else, but it's cute. Uh, I want to play that game. It's really it's awesome. It's really it's a good. Great game. Yeah, um, I think I agree. I think I think that little guy counts. <laughs> so going back, has anyone played the new God of War? No. Nope. Uh huh. You talking about boy? Yes, boy. His boy and animal companion. <laughs> what? I think he's just a regular companion. Uh, I mean, he's directly know. related to and and in terms of video games, he's actively participating in every part of that game. Okay, so let me let me pose the you I I I do suspect you just answered this, but I haven't played it yet. And I do want to pose this question. Is it possible that we as humans have a hard time separating a human from being an animal companion? Because it, it sounds like narratively, boy could fill that bill. But maybe it's just hard for us to accept that. Is that possible? Well, he does have an active role in the story. He does. Okay. Is he cute? He is cute. By the definition we proposed before, though, can he stand on his own or does he? Kratos does need to save him a lot. (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, like narrative. Did you call him? Is he Curtis? No. (laughs) Kratos. 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 Okay. I I got us. You said Curtis. I I I heard that too. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, guys, I'm Kurt. (laughs) Kurt. The God of War. Kurt. (laughs) Because <laughs> if you go from the the playing the game point standpoint, a gameplay standpoint, uh, Treyas or Boy, he's mostly a support character where you can where he shoots uh, his arrows to help stun enemies or get into like stun lock damage. Sure. So he's got the support, like, but he's not explicitly think, an animal. I think that's games are animals, support, though. Is it narrative well, support? Yeah. That's sort of well, narratively, like the scope of the whole game, like the theme of the game is sort of uh, the coming of age, learning to stand up for yourself, um, you know, overcoming the shortcomings of your father uh, mm, are all, okay. all all themes in the game. So I also the, imagine the boy that, features prominently. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I imagine that Kratos is the static character, where boy is probably the one dynamic, changing, learning from his experiences and. Well, we kind of see how Kratos has become how he is now because he's much different than he is in the previous God of Wars. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, there is another companion that he has, which is the head that Kratos oh, carries yeah. around for most of the game. I love that. He head. might be an animal companion. What's I forget that his name. I forget uh, which Mimor. Nordic god he is. Uh, he's Mimir, a head that's something like that. Mimir. Mimir. I can't think of it right now. I'm actually. Playing he's the it. Nordic god of knowledge. Yeah, and he carries his head around. Hmm. He tells stories while you're in a boat. It's great. <laughs> yeah, his like, exposition. He yeah, he does a lot of stuff. Like he tells you like lo- like Norse lore uh, stories while you're like traveling around this giant lake to get to places. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, great. God of War is yeah. a great game. I love it. Sounds like a lovely time. <laughs> yeah, just on a boat with someone telling you stories. <laughs> the beginning is stupid. Severed head. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning is stupidly hard. Yeah, I tried to go back and play recently, and it was uh, a chore to get through the <laughs> opening bit. Anyways, I would think the head would be an animal companion because he doesn't have agency. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, actually, that's yeah, that's another very yeah. good point. 
Okay, so agency is playing into it. Like, is it like does it, does this companion not make its own choices or or direct the plot at all? Is that is that an element, or is this another just another kind of narrative aspect of the role of animal companion? So well, that might be leading into an existential aspect of it as well. well. They can't make their own choices. I would say, like the head physically can't go anywhere because it's just a head. <laughs> it has no movement. Okay. It relies on Kratos. Um, or, or well, getting back into uh, books, in this case, one we've probably all read, uh, does, uh, oh, what's her name? The the owl, uh, Harry Potter's owl. Hedwig. 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 Does she count? Um, I'm not sure she's present often enough to, to really take on the role of an animal companion. Yeah, it's yeah. more like a... Uh, a pet than a companion. Yeah, because she's mm-hmm. barely there. But in contrast, um, Scabbers or what's the cat's name? Crookshanks. I got Crookshanks. you. <laughs> Crookshanks was a weird character. It's a really weird. Crookshanks is a really weird character, which I wish had more surprises. <laughs> um, but do, do either of them count? I would probably consider probably Scabbers until he is spoilers, <laughs> no longer Scabbers. What? As an. <laughs> <laughs> as an animal companion or uh what's he's the always frog's there name? with ron he is the, trevor you know he trevor. kind of he, yeah trevor <laughs> they play kind of a, a crucial role in you know certain spots mm-hmm. yeah like I, I personally i i don't think any of those count but i think buckbeak from the third book does count or oh. nagini yeah, or I, uh, uh, nagini well, i would like count anti yeah. anti companion or <laughs> I'm not I'm not kicking in canon the the I'm not kicking into account the canon of the new movies by the way. <laughs> then you shouldn't. Yeah. Mm, okay. Are yeah, there any other good examples in literature we can think of? Um well the, maybe the, well, one of the books that we read this month starting with Rachel. <laughs> one second. I, I just I just tried. N- not yet. <laughs> horse and his boy. Too Whatever soon, the horse. Katie. Too soon. Oh, I'm sorry. We've talked about this last month, but yeah, Horse and His Boy. Yeah. That's a one came immediately to mind. <laughs> That's fair. I don't remember it very well. So can anyone else uh, uh, kind of describe the relationship between the characters there? Uh, it's more of the human becomes the animal companion than the actual animal. <laughs> it's kind of explained by the title, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. A bit. Okay. <laughs> Because the horse is more, it's a native of the world, and the uh, the titular boy, which I forgot his name, um, is kind of thrust into this world. Hmm. Well, now that's an interesting spin. So is it based on who is like the, you know, the top dog, so to speak, in the world? Like the, like how the horses in that one are like, yeah, uh, words. Well, I'm guessing the horses are fully characterized, right? Yeah, they, and the boy probably less so. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so, so who's who's the character that we're following? Like, are often like the book will give us a point of view character, and that's probably the main character. And with a boy being foreign to the land, I would expect the boy to be the point of view character. He is, yes. So, like, so does the boy have the narrative arc, like, where he becomes... Yes. Yeah, okay. So yeah. it sounds like the boy is still the main character. Yeah. Um, which, does that make the horse an animal companion? 
I don't know. I haven't read it recently enough. Dan? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky because um, for exactly the reason that Peter lays out. So I don't I don't I mean, like, would a mentor character that is an animal be an animal companion? I I don't think that's kind of what it is. Yeah, that I would don't be like so the either. that would be like the the lion from Narnia being an animal companion. It's not really, Aslan, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not even there often enough. I think I feel like the animal companion needs to be present for a lot more of the story. Yeah. Well, how like, about the beavers then in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? <laughs> I mean, all of these are just kind of side characters that they meet and then move on from. Yeah. I also I also do kind of suspect that there are almost like two types of definitions we can really go with here which is the narrative definition in the specific story and then like you said the existential one i think that's a really good way to break it down because there are very obvious clear examples of animal companions where it's you know there's a person and an animal and they do everything together like in D right. if you're a ranger and you have your hawk or whatever yeah uh, but if that person who has the animal is not a prominent character in the story right. then, well, then narratively it's irrelevant yeah so I, I think there are sort of two ways to look at it, ultimately. But I, another thing I am curious about is if you guys have any thoughts on what is the impact of an animal companion on a story? Like, why would, uh, why would you use one in a story? Uh, we hmm. talked about the four cuteness factor. Sure. That's definitely yeah, true. Yeah, and they're, they're kind of like a sometimes the humorous relief. Like a break from the story, from all the mud. Yeah, I, I think comic relief is a good one. I think um, it's, you know, it's they fill the role of a sidekick mm-hmm. um, support in some fashion. It might be material support. It might be emotional support. Again, I, I think it's a very fuzzy line between, you know, having an animal companion and having just another character that's that's helping you out. Um, yeah. I, I really like when um, the the characters use it as a sounding board, like what Rachel described in The Witcher, because it gives your main character a chance to like sort of sort through their thoughts, sort through the plot and not have like another voice sort of coming in. And and you get like just pure character kind of responding, you know, like they're talking to someone else, but there's no response. So they are sort of building that conversation in their own head. And then so, so you're all- doing it. It's all an amplification for the main character's characterization. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And that's, that's useful. That's interesting. Hmm. All right. Should we talk about some books? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sure. When Dan says it. Well, <laughs> we weren't done. Well, he has a last name. Yeah. <laughs> Are we being discriminated against because we don't have last names, Nick? I think so. What you are you going to sue me in court? Yourselves. We didn't strip you of your last name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I specifically asked not to have a last name. Uh, Katie didn't. <laughs> there are so uh, many Rachels and Katies out there. If you try suing me over it, nobody's going to know who you are. <laughs> so, well, there's both a Rachel and a Katie in year one, and it's very disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you guys were all fictional. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll start because mine is a little different and doesn't fit this one because I couldn't find one and in time. Whoops. <laughs> um, go ahead. 
Dan, were you saying something? Nope. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. Well, that's gonna stay. Sorry, I, cl- I clicked my tongue and it probably uh, tripped the mic. Sorry. Yeah, I-, I thought you were inhaling to say something. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so I read uh, The Rage of Dragons by uh, Evan Winter, which is a really good book. And uh, I want to praise the narrator. Uh, one second. I have to look at the name to pronounce it because I don't know how to pronounce anything. <laughs> anything. It was Prentice uh, oh, oh, me something. Yeah. Omiyemi? Oh, yeah. Uh, Prentice Onayemi. And his voice uh, 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 is so, like, soothing and uh, uh, draws you right into the story while he's talking about this horrible war that's going on and describing these epic fight scenes. And you feel like you're right there. Um, So I'll give you a brief premise of the story. It uh, it follows the Omi uh, uh, the Omi uh, people who have been fighting an unwinnable fight for two hundred years, and their society is only it's built about war and how ha- and only war. Uh, everyone, every man must go into the service or be made a drudge, which is basically slaves. <laughs> um, if he does uh-huh. not go, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so at every one in 2,000 women have the power to call down dragons, which are the devastating forces that have been their secret weapons for years. And every in one 100 man has the ability to magically transform himself into a, uh, killing machine. That, uh, that's like the premise of their society, which is just war. This um this follows Tao, who is a common boy, born, giftless um, young man, who has his like green plans to escape. Uh, basically, to escape his service, he's like, I will just get injured in my service time and then get this cushy position. Well, that's a time honored uh scheme yeah because he wants to marry the woman he loves and have a life that's not ended by a tragedy (laughs) uh unfortunately that does not happen for him Uh, i thought not nope (laughs) uh a lot of people die that he cares about and uh that sends him off into a rage and uh he's fixated on revenge so he dedicates himself to become the greatest swordsman alive to uh, satiate his revenge. What a switch. Yeah. It really is. (laughs) I just started Uh, reading this at Rachel's recommendation uh, last month. Yeah. Uh, The beginning is very disconcerting, at least for me, because I didn't have the background of African culture because I'm sadly lacking on, like, African uh, mythology and the mythos behind it. But once you get into the culture, you're like, this is very interesting and just different and um it was a very interesting story uh i became to not like uh chow as much because he's just a very angry boy Mm. (laughs) uh and his only feeling is rage and i'm like make smarter decisions (laughs) (laughs) well isn't that like a, a characteristic of being in a rage that you don't make good decisions yeah um it's a 
matriarchal society, which is different from what I read. And it's very, and that was um, a nice touch in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, animal containers that I was thinking with the dragons that are called down by uh, the the women of the Omiyomi tribe and they're uh, very powerful and <laughs> can raise all these uh, uh, enemies from the ground with their fire breath it's very terrifying unfortunately they don't have a personality so that's why I said well they're not really animal companions because they don't have a personality or talk or no one talks to them they're mostly just weapons of war mm-hmm. but it seemed like at the end of the book they, we might get more information about it because of spoilers which I can't talk about sure <laughs> yeah but for but, most uh, of the book more animal less companion yeah uh, they're just creatures. They're just tools to win a war. And since Tao is a male man, he can't call them or communicate with them. <laughs> okay. Uh, go ahead. Can I can I ask like um, so like when they call the dragons down, like so they're the dragons are just kind of always around, or do they have some level of control on them all the time. Spoilers. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to say I, I, magic. <laughs> the okay. dragon was within you all along, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I've heard a lot of people uh, suggest this book, so I think I agree, uh, hopefully, that uh, Rachel is correct, and uh, I will definitely put this on my to-read list. Yeah, uh, I would read it. I would just read it for the narrator, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you agree with me? Oh, I 100% agree with you. He has the sexiest voice I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like the Idris Elba of audiobooks. Oh, oh my goodness. You know? I'm pressing my buttons now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will also say, Rachel, I agree with, uh, I think, everything you've said. I'm only on chapter four, still very early in. Yeah. Um, so you haven't hit the rage yet. <laughs> well, I think I've just started to. Yeah. Ty was finally out on his own now. Yeah. Um, so, um I, I, I agree with you at the beginning. It was um a little bit of a culture shock, I think is the way I would put it. Trying yeah. to understand what's going on. There's a lot of new words and um just uh, and the entire first chapter is not even it's it's takes place like two hundred years ago or something. It's a prologue to like set up things. Yeah, and I didn't even catch on to that right away. So I was really confused right off the bat. But once you get into it, it's like it it really builds and is phenomenal. Yeah. Um and the dragon thing, calling the dragons, as far as I could tell, was uh, very confusing and st- interesting. So, but, you know, seeing as Tao can't do it, I, I assume that we never really get a point of view experience on that other than in the prologue. Yeah. So excited to learn more. The only like downside I had is I got a little tired of main character being uh, uh, angry all the time. <laughs> hmm. It is a real 180 from how he started. Yeah, he was like he was like this sweet kid. And then now he's just angry. I will say uh, it's the coolest way that a character uh, learns a skill in that book It is the smartest way that a character learns a skill in that book. I don't know if I can say it. I don't know. It's just like how he learned a skill for fighting. Practice. Other than practice. Uh, <laughs> How early does this happen? Because if it's happening soon, you can just spoil it for me. I'll live. Um, it's when he gets to uh, cam- uh, the camp. 
<laughs> his like a uh, training camp area. Mm, just spoil it. It's fine. I'll live. Uh, he learns how to dual wield <laughs> because. Oh, I see. Uh, he broke his wrist during the time where he was uh, fighting for the chance to get into this the, the common army, and he broke his dominant wrist. So he had oh. to learn. So he had to learn to fight with his left hand. But he learned so well to fight with his left hand that now he's ambidextrous with fighting. That is sort of hinted at when he um, has two swords early on. So that's really also, that's very clever. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> Anyone have any questions? Uh, so like when you're talking about how he's angry all the time, is it bothering you because he won't stop sort of like thinking about his own internal rage or is it just because it leads his decision making is always impetuous and rage filled? Yeah. It's kind of like, can you, can you have more than one emotion please? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, he makes, I understand his decision making and uh, need for revenge. I guess it's like, I don't like to be in the state of anger forever. So. <laughs> Does it feel like the character lacks depth or breadth? Uh, probably breath. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> because or yeah, he's he has like the what his one dimension once he gets into his angry state because he's that's all he feels and that's all he cares about. <laughs> Is it a first person book from his perspective? Or? I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember his first person, or I think it's third person limited. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you only right. get yeah. Okay, what was the book and author? Uh, it is Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter. And it sounds like you really liked it. It was very good. I am excited for book two. Wonderful. Um, I'll take the next one. Cool. Do it, Peter. Do it. Do it. I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> so uh, for this, this one, I called back to books that I, I read as a kid and that I've read multiple times since and that uh, not too long ago, I uh, read aloud to somebody. Um, this is the, uh, the Last Herald Mage trilogy by Mercedes Lackey. Um, and, uh, and I don't remember exactly what headspace I was in when we were t- discussing uh, uh, themes, but I was probably thinking of this trilogy because, uh, if, if you don't know, Mercedes Lackey, uh, wrote, and I think is best known for the, the Valdemar setting and world and, and multiple trilogies within. Um, and this one follows, uh, Vaniel, who is a, uh, uh, I guess kind of a spoiled rich kid um, whose father is super masculine and who uh, is very negative towards his son, Vanuel, who just never fit those toxic masculinity traits like, you know, being big and brutish and brawling and other B words. Um, and uh at some point, you know, ships his son Vaniel off somewhere uh, to the big city, and uh, where where Vaniel discovers that 
a person can be gay. Um, and, uh, and then later, uh, discovers, uh, basically magical ability, which in this world and setting, uh, usually at least, uh, in this region comes with an attachment to what are literally called capital C companions, uh, which are human intelligence level horses that bond to you, uh, and then talk to you mentally and support you. Um, so this, uh, this series is notable for being one of the early, I I can't say earliest. I don't know. I haven't done the, all the research, but one of the early, uh, gay positive, uh, fantasy trilogies, uh, that addresses a whole lot of issues like the way people see gay men and uh the 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 unfounded fears that gay men are pedophiles um and the emotions surrounding being uh being you know torn away from things that you love and being uh uh repudiated by your family um and it, it covers this over, over all three books of the trilogy while simultaneously being very strong examples of like a, a sorcerer coming into his own magic, uh, learning how to handle his power, um, and uh, being surrounded by, well, being d- discovering that he has people who will support and love him, even though he's you know, never really felt that before. Um, it's very encouraging and supportive. Um, and at the same time, really good adventure story. Um, uh, the, the animal companion in question is his companion. Uh, did I mention they're all horse shaped? I don't remember if I mentioned that. You did. Um, okay. Companions are all these pure white horses uh, that you know are they are super super human except for horses super horsemen super horsey <laughs> super equine um, uh, they they have you know extra good stamina and speed and these beautiful blue eyes that show up on all of the covers of the books. Um, <laughs> just the most important details it's it's it comes up more than a few times in the books <laughs> these these clear intelligent blue eyes on these pure white horses um is that just a thing in like like younger children's books because like katie's series does a similar thing i realize i think with, with blue eyes or intelligent eyes or just this describing like food over and over and over again oh well Wait, is, did Katie read Redwall for this? I think so. Did you? No, oh, no okay. I did not. I just okay. bought all of the books I could. I mean, the anyway. Redwall books do talk about food over and over and over. Um, yeah. But, so, uh... Like, the repetitive nature of describing one thing. Well, I don't, I don't think... I don't know. I wouldn't assert that the the Herald Mage trilogy or the other trilogies in the in the setting uh, overwork the the description of the of the companions. I 
I couldn't say for sure, but I, I'd say they just probably, you know, repeat it a, a few times, but enough to hammer it home. Okay. <laughs> um, regardless, I don't know. I'm not sure what else to say. Uh, the, the animal companion, uh, his name is Ifandes, and and she's uh, she's one of these sources of like, uh, you know, she 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 loves Vaniel, right? And it's it's a companionable uh like platonic eternal love and it's really beautiful and it's really um i think uh important for the character as somebody who has uh suffered and been been cast away so much uh and i can see that being important to uh, readers, especially in the, uh, I think, 80s when these books came out, um, who may have similar, similarly felt cast away, uh, to imagine that there, that there can be this unconditional love out there. Yeah, so it's, I, I think, I, I find them like, they're, I think they're really positive books. I th- I'm really glad that they exist and that they existed when they did. Um, and uh, as I said, I read them as a kid and I've read them multiple times since. Uh, and I had a really good time reading them to somebody. Um, and uh, so I, I heartily recommend them. They're not without flaw, but uh, but they're good books. That's good. You know, most of the time when I read like stuff from older decades or uh, you know that uh, especially in the fantasy genre they just tend not to hold up so i'm glad mercedes lackey is out there proving mm-hmm. it wrong yeah um, me too yeah uh, what was it again um this is the last herald made mage trilogy by mercedes lackey the first book is um magic's pawn i think and then magic's promise and last is magic's price question did they change the covers again to make them weird now oh gosh they might have are you looking at things <laughs> on the internets no <laughs> i can't spell from this you telling me <laughs> um, uh, well when i when i look them up on amazon i see the covers that i remember and in fact that i still own on books from you know 30 mm. about 25 years ago so um, you know, maybe they're still publishing under the same covers. There might have been some new, uh, new covers at some point, but I'm not familiar with them. I will check on Goodreads because they have all the covers. <laughs> oh my! So, so Peter, saying? the the uh, there's she has a Mercedes like is a huge bibliography, but uh, is this a good entry point for Mercedes likey um, stuff? You know, I think it is. I. I don't remember exactly if this was my entry point. I think it was. Um, and I know it's not the first books that she wrote uh, in the in the setting. Those would be the, uh, was it Arrows of the Queen trilogy, I think, um, mm-hmm. which I also have enjoyed, but they are weaker um, for various reasons i think the the characterization is is i don't remember it's been a while (laughs) yeah Uh, i i think they're just kind of overall less strong books uh this 
this trilogy takes place some hundreds, couple hundred years um, earlier in the setting chronology than most of the rest of the books. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think it's a great place to onboard for Mercedes Lackey's Valdemar setting. Uh, I would go from there. Shoot. Um, there's, I think my, my other favorite is the Mage Storm trilogy, uh, which also features some great animal companions, including one called a fire cat, Ooh. And it, which is a, a magic cat. Is that like a, is it like cat wings? Uh, <laughs> it's more like a really big, like an extra large Maine Coon that, that I think an has, extra I guess large has five. Maine Coon? Yes. Oh my goodness. It's just a giant floof. Yeah. Oh, a giant floof for sure. And it, and it, you know, like helps this, uh, one of the protagonists. Um, and that, that trilogy has one of the, the few scenes in books that makes me cry, uh, every time I read it. But, but, but I, which I could not describe because it would be a massive spoiler. Oh, gee, maybe I should have made that one my my book. <laughs> um, uh, the only the only thing is you don't want to go straight to uh, the Mage Storm trilogy because it follows directly on the heels of a th- another trilogy that is also good, and I would read that one first. Um, Winds of Fate, I think. You the, should Mage make it. Win, the Mage Winds trilogy, I think. So Peter yeah. just recommended nine books in one fell swoop. <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, yes. Uh, That's correct. You should just make a um, order to read at the bottom of your um, review. <laughs> well, at least at least in this case, everyone's clear on on how to what order to read a trilogy and unlike with Narnia where some people get it. <laughs> well, I mean, like what orders do you read? Trilogies. <laughs> Actually, well, yeah, I I would love it if you would take Peter's or I'm sorry if you take Rachel's ad- advice here and put that in it. Oh. I think that would be super okay. useful. Okay, well I'll I'll just sum it up again. I would start with the the last Harold Mage trilogy and then read the uh, Mage Winds trilogy and then read the Mage Storms trilogy. Um, and I mean you know any point you feel like it you can you can read the Arrows of the Queen trilogy or whatever. But that's it's. It's not as good. It's early work. You can tell. Um, but anyway, so this was uh, the the last Herald Mage trilogy, beginning with Magic's uh, Pawn by Mercedes Lackey. And I, I apparently love them dearly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yes. I did look it up on Goodreads. And the, the, only, the U.S. cover was the same throughout. Okay. Well, that's because it was such a good cover. They don't need to change it. You gotta have integrity in your cover. You don't have to have the weird the two thousands Photoshop boy. Oh my god, those uh, woof! Let me just say that. That's all woof. Well, the two thousands have the weird Photoshop boy. The two thousand tens have this minimal minimalistic um, kind of setting, I guess, in book covers. Yeah. Anyway, uh, hey, who wants to talk about books? I vote Katie. I can go next. Right, Katie. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so I did um, The Witches of New York 
by Amy McKay. Um, so it follows these two women who own a tea shop. They're Eleanor St. Clair and, oh, sorry, Sinclair and Adelaide Tom. Eleanor, she very openly is like, yes, I am a witch. I can give you these teas that, you know, give you good dreams that, you know, relax you and all these things. And Adelaide, she is a little more hesitant about her abilities. She she hides behind her tarot cards and is like, oh, the cards have, you know, the magic. It's not me. Eleanor is like working herself to death to get rid of thoughts of a recent breakup. By the way, this is taking place in like 1880s. Oh, I was thinking oh. it was the okay. I was thinking yeah. it was modern times. <laughs> nope, it's New York 1880s and <laughs> it I, I really like the setting. I think it it's got a nice aesthetic and a nice feel that I love cuz you know, you get those big poofy dresses and everyone is Okay, I know I complained about all the etiquette and such when I was reading <laughs> that other book from before. I don't remember. The Vine Witch. But, yeah, yeah that one too, kind of. I'm in a oh. very witchy mood. Oh, uh, <laughs> the, the Iron Worm Affair? Yes, the Iron Worm Affair. I, that was just too much etiquette and, you know, making sure everything is perfect and pristine. But this is like, you know, oh, we have to, you know, keep up appearances and Oh no, there's ghosts in the hotel. We must get rid of them. Yeah, I'm kind of jumping all over. Sorry, guys. Um, so come to expect, Katie. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so Eleanor is working herself to death. So Adelaide puts out an ad in the paper saying they're looking for a shop girl. So that's when Miss Beatrice Dunn enters, and. She goes to the shop and and she like has a vision while she's in there. She sees a ghost and it's like this scary gypsy woman who tries to read her cards and then she like vomits a whole bunch of river water all over and then she um Beatrice passes out and then she's found by Eleanor and she's like you know trying to take care of her and she's like talking about how she had seen this ghost and she's like trying to pass it off like haha but you know maybe I'm just unwell from traveling on the train and it's it's kind of crazy how it all happens because they they basically adopt Beatrice and like start teaching her like the ways of witchcraft because of her ability to communicate with the ghosts and so they they try to like they put on like a a little exhibition for some of the people some of the more well to do cuz they they're trying to discover the science behind the afterlife and it's quite it's it's interesting because they they do make it sound a little more on the scientific side so they work on that but then there's also um, Perdue. He is Eleanor's um, raven companion. Aha! Aha! Here comes the animal companion. 
sometimes he can like speak little words like when he uh there's this one time where this like really christian woman comes into the shop and he like freaks out at her and he calls her a fiend <laughs> and so he is there and he it is very often alluded that he may not actually be a raven he could be something else perhaps a demon so he's kind of like Salem from uh, Sabrina. Yeah, because he, they say, oh yeah, he's just, he's my bird. I've had him since you know I was young. He's older than me. But then Eleanor's mom swears that that he that Perdue had taught her how to speak. So then it's like you know how old is this mystery bird? You know and. And when it, one of the ghosts actually, like, is communicating, she sees, uh, she looks at Purdue and she's like, oh, you've fooled us all. You aren't actually what you seem. And it's like, ooh. Bum, bum, they never, bum. yeah, they never fully, like, go into who he is or, like, where he's come from. But luckily, there's a sequel that. I was just going know. to ask. Yep. Oh, <laughs> yes. There is a sequel. Have, is it out yet? Yes, it is, and I had no idea that it was out, but I guess it came out, like, in 2018, and I'm like, oh, I I should look at publishing dates. (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing that uh, exists on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very readily accessible. Okay, do you guys have any questions? How tall are you? So... <laughs> no. What? Uh, I guess like you haven't talked like about a bad guy or anything yet. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's um <clears throat> there's like two kind of storylines going on that are, you know, linear or not linear, like parallel. So there is this um this reverend who is all like, "Oh, I must you know, save these poor souls who are, you know, being... Consorting with deviltry. <laughs> Pretty much. he He's, like, trying... He decides that he has to save Beatrice from the witches. And so he he is, like, trying his best to figure out how to remove witchcraft... And he may or may not murder some people along the way. I'll save her if it kills her. Yeah, pretty much. He's like, oh, I saved your souls by releasing you from your, you know, sinful body, whatever. What's his name? Uh, Judge Forlund. No, Judge for uh, the guy from Hunchback Notre Dame. Frollo. Frollo. Yes. That sounds like, so it's Judge Frollo. Yes. Very similar to that, because because like Hellfire is all about that kind of. But that, then on the the okay, other sorry. side of the spectrum is that there's a demon running around, and he's oh, like, shoot. "These damn witches! They keep getting in my way and ruining all my plans. I have to kill them." So then he is actually like trying to stir up the Reverend. And get him even more, like, more enthusiastic about removing witches 
I know enthusiastic is not the right word. I sure do love killing witches. <laughs> <laughs> Tempting, I guess. Yeah, he he's just he's egging him on. Yeah, yeah. Stoking and, the flame of evil. Oh no, but he's doing it in God's name. He's killing the witches for our Lord and such. God has a really flexible name that way. Yeah. So uh, my question was: Yes, since this is kind of con- not contemporary. Uh, what's the word? Urban fiction or ur- urban fantasy? And we're in the 1880s. I gotta ask: uh, Is there like a lot of sexism that's um, prominent? Oh yeah, women should not vote if a woman, uh, because this is during you know the time of suffragettes, and it talks about how there's some rallies going on in the park for it. Um, if a woman tries to vote, then she is being sinful. Because she's then, trying. Does the to reverend use murder her? her? <laughs> Spoilers. Oh shoot! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Maybe. But, <laughs> nice but yeah, game. like there's apparently like there's this passage in the Bible that's like, you know, a woman can't try to take over a man's place by being in charge. Mm-hmm. And he like has a whole sermon about it, and it is oof. And then the organist of the church, who is a woman, she's all like, amen, hallelujah. The, you know, she's like eating it all up. And it's just like, really? There are um, always some, yeah. Uh, zealots. That's pretty much all I've got. Um this was The Witches of New York by Amy McKay. And the second or the sequel is out. And <laughs> let me find the title for y'all. The Witches of West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're close. It's called Half Spent the Night. That's very oh. similar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to ask, if you're this witchy uh, lately, how are you going to be in October? Oh no. <laughs> October Super is mundane. Yeah, we're going to be on unicorns in October. Come on, guys. Uh, I do have a question. So the setting is 1880s New York, but how much is it New York and how much is it an alternate New York where where things are obviously different? Um I think for the most part it is you know, like historically accurate cuz they talk about the obelisk of Cleopatra's needle being shipped into New York, which okay. I looked up and I guess it's a real thing. It, um, it sh- I, yeah, it was funny. It was just mentioned in Gargoyles episodes. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we just watched. Yes, we all totally watched all the way up to that point. <laughs> what episode are you talking about? <laughs> um, it also talks about how there's just Lady Liberty's torch at this point. She, like the whole Statue of Liberty is not built yet. Okay, but so in general, it, it doesn't feel like the existence of magic and demons has has shifted the course of history very much. No, not not really. It's just kind of like a, you know, they've they've always kind of been there in the background, but it's not like 
you know, like it hasn't changed changed things. It's it's our world plus magic. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. it's kind of it's kind of like the series I read last mo- week, a month, not week, <laughs> where it's just like <laughs> history, but it has dragons. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it it it's kind of nice that it's not so overbearing, like about how different it would have been if there was magic during this time. Mm-hmm. I like how it's just like little subtle things like giving you dream tea or something yeah. and, you know, protecting your house from ghosts and such. I want dream tea. <laughs> I want I want to be able to sleep through the night right now. <laughs> See? Yeah. I, I want Rachel to have some dream tea. Gotta find yourself a witch. <laughs> in New York. In 1980. What's, what's stopping you? Uh, um, it's the tea shop called Tea and Sympathy. Well, I'm a little far from New York. And you're a little far from 1880. <laughs> you're, you're closer than some of us, though. Yes, I am uh, on the correct coast. <laughs> That's a good right starting coast. point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, if you look on the map, it is the right side. <laughs> Unless you flip your map upside down. Then that's just wrong. But then if you rotate the map so that you're looking up from underneath the world, then it's that way again. Whoa. Or if you're you're me and can't tell your lefts from your rights. Right. In which case, all the coasts are the right coasts. (laughs) Or the wrong coast. I don't... uh, hmm. I mean, of course, what you should do is subscribe to Caffeine Legends using code FBOM10 to get 10% off your... (laughs) What? <laughs> nice plug, Dan. Yeah, are we even sponsored by them right now? <laughs> of course. Yeah, it continues. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd like to be selfish and go last. So, uh, Nick, would you like to go, or should we wrestle over who goes last? Rest. Arm wrestle. Rock, well, rock paper I, scissors. Fight. Fight. I was going to say I've I've honestly been waiting for for you to ask me something like this, Dan. But now with the <laughs> the idea of wrestling you, I'm just really torn. <laughs> You, you just roll a well, dice. We can do and both. Goes, we can do both things. Oh, okay. Use, uh, roll a we'll dice. do it off air. We'll do it off air. Okay. We'll, we'll Don't wrestle. worry. We'll rec- we'll record it for. <laughs> I'm driving out to Chicago. I'll see you in four hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah. So, um, I read uh, Star Sight sequel to Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. This sort of stemmed. I was originally going to try to find uh, a different book, like featuring like an animal companion, but. That actually, I think we all found was a little bit harder to do than we anticipated. I didn't. Okay. Well, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it was pretty difficult for me. Yeah, super, super easy, Nick. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but but um, who all read a, a brand new book to them this month? Me. I didn't. I did. See, yeah, I did. I, I did too. So, Peter, you were the one who had the most luck with a reread. I mean, to be fair, I read a brand new book to me this month. It just wasn't this one. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely pushing the, the, the definition of Animal Companion here. Um, this is a this haul back to our, our uh, uh, C-3PO discussion. A little bit, yes. This is a, a sci-fi book uh, about a character named uh, Spensa. She is a uh, space pilot who... Uh, er, you know, actually, in the entire first book, they're trapped on their planet and they are only flying in atmosphere. This book, uh, they push beyond the atmosphere. She actually goes to other planets 
and sees other species for the first time, along with her um, AI-powered ship named Mbot. Emba. Um, Bot. The M-bot. letter M. Yeah. Got it. Dash bot. Mombot. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, this uh, book in particular, I think, was really interesting in that that conversation we had earlier about uh, humanity and um agency mm-hmm. uh and and what defines an animal companion exactly because uh you know spencer certainly is a character on her own throughout the book but the main crux of what she does which is flying is only done with her ship mm-hmm. and uh, at the same time her ship cannot do anything without spencer pretty much it, it can't fly itself it has special code in its programming uh, as we learn throughout this book, there's a lot of uh, things programmed into Mbot that prevent him from being, uh, from making his own decisions. And He's, at t- uh, at times, he does override that code to save Spencer and do things like that. But when he does, he suffers consequences, which include him jamming up, needing to reboot his system, uh, possibly losing memory and things like that. Uh, so whoever programmed him specifically did not want him being uh, his own person. And in this universe, they they say that AI is very dangerous. AI use is uh, something that can possibly call these giant um, world-eating creatures that they don't really understand to, to come towards them and uh, basically kill everyone. So AI is a dangerous thing in this universe. That's, yeah, sounds dangerous. Yeah, and Mbot consistently is asking Spencer, am I human? Or he's saying, I want to be more human. And, and he's struggling with his own identity. And he's trying to figure out, you know, what is it that makes me uh, alive? Am I alive? I don't know if I'm alive. Uh, and yet he exhibits feelings at times. And other times he exhibits this uh, behavior that is so alien and unhuman-like. And because this book is also introducing us to the first species outside of humanity in the series, and Spencer actually has to, with the use of holograms, take on the role of a different species and pretend that she's that for a significant portion of the book. There's this really interesting conversation around what it means to be human, and, and uh, you, you know, I think that uh, this book doesn't quite answer the question, but it certainly uh, provokes the question hmm. in a very compelling way. So, so I've read the first one and yes, uh, yep. the, there is an animal companion that she has in the first one, which is that little slug. That yes. She doom, slug. doom slug. Doom slug. Yeah. So is, so doom slug is still around. Doom slug is still around. Um, I would. Well, okay. Well, I can stop you, Nick. So you succeeded. You got it. Doom slug. companion <laughs> exists. He's in the book. You you, you, you made it in. Yes, <laughs> but by the definition we we talked about earlier, like Doomslug is not prominent necessarily in either book. He does not do anything. He's just a slug that she kind of lugs around with her. Uh, yeah, if anything, in the first book, I always found him a very ominous uh, presence because he's a weird alien slug that she doesn't totally understand. And mm-hmm. it does. It, it's very fast and it sneaks up on her in several instances. And it's probably poisonous. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but Doomslug is very relevant in the second book, but more as a object than an animal. So Hmm, still still not really a companion, more of a plot device sort of thing. Definitely not a character. Okay, so so you go ahead. It's uh, more my book than Peter's book. (laughs) 
Yeah, perhaps. Mm. Perhaps. Um, on the scale I, of animal companions. I really, I, I you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil anything because it's actually a big spoiler. But okay. Um, you know, I, uh, I think you've reminded me of another series, um, the Honor Harrington series by uh, David Weber. Uh, which is another sci-fi mm-hmm. uh, space opera sort of series. Weber really enjoys writing uh, really like technically detailed and involved uh, space battles talking about, you know, how many missiles this ship launched from its broadside and how many kilometers per second squared they accelerate at and that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, which sounds very dry, and for some people it would be, but it, for for most of his writing, he manages to communicate it in a very exciting way. Um, but the main character, Honor Harrington, um, has a a what is called a tree cat. Um, it's a cat-like uh, animal from another uh, planet. Uh, with six legs and it has some kind of emotionally empathic bond with her and it, and it rides along with her. Um, and I think it might, maybe it might hit that like animal companion sweet spot that, that we've been kind of dancing around. Like it is not like a full human person character. Um, and it's also not a, uh, kind of just a here and there plot object. Like it is her constant companion. It usually rides on her shoulders. He, he has a name, you know, and periodically like emotionally communicates with her or is otherwise like fun set dressing. Cause she feeds it celery and, and he's very excited about celery. Um, <laughs> um, Eat your veggies kids. That's right. And be grow up big and strong and six limbed like Nimitz the tree cat. Um, <laughs> but uh, that just reminds me of the celery on uh, the fifth doctor's lapel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So so Nick, what um, like the, the plot of the first book is uh, essentially like discovering the mystery of why humans are trapped on that planet. So mm-hmm. what's going on in the second one? The second one is uh, mostly Spensa discovering the mystery of herself, of what her powers are that we sort of learned about in the first book, as well as understanding the, uh, believe it or not, the geopolitical landscape of space. She, she sort of ventures into the, the upper echelon of the species that have her trapped on her planet and uh, learns about how, what is really going on uh, in a much greater sense. Again, this this one takes place mostly out of her planet. She's undercover as a different species, and she meets a bunch of other different species, and uh, they get up to their wily antics and stuff. So <laughs> it's it's uh it's a little more broader scope than the first book, I think, which uh, could be a good or bad thing depending on your feelings on the first book. Uh, I haven't read the first book. Uh, I actually owned the first book for a while, but I didn't read it. Uh, it it's definitely young adult. For Brandon Sanderson? Yeah, uh, I bought it because I went to a book signing there. He was signing books, and I was like, I guess I'll buy the book you're actually uh, <laughs> promoting. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, a criticism I heard about Starsight is she's not with her team anymore, and she's more by herself. Do you have any thoughts on this? 
Well, yes, because like I said, she left the planet and it, it was uh, set up in a way that only she could be the one to leave. The, uh, the rest of her team sort of do take a backseat in this one, but she gets a, a new team, so to speak. Um, with and you know she's teaming up with with these other alien races and also fighting against some of them as well. So, um, it does feel a little lame to throw all those characters from the first book sort of in the backseat. Uh, but I suspect that in the third book, that will not be the case. I think everything mm-hmm. sort of is going to come together again, including the characters from the second book and the first book. They're all going to come together a lot, I think. So, yeah, I mean, if Sanderson has one thing he's really good at, it's it's, you know, weaving disparate plot threads from previous mm-hmm. books into like a really nice conclusion. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's de- I, I would I would say, though, this is almost uh, distinctly different from the first book. In a way, a uh, question. Yeah, um, you you called uh, Imbot uh, he and him earlier. Does that is that how the book genders Imbot? I believe so. Yeah. Is that um, like does that come up at all? Does uh, does Imbot like select a gender for themselves or? You know, I, that is actually a good question. I don't remember. Hmm. I assume that is the case or i could also be assuming sure it, it's, it's maybe it's not it's not discussed uh yeah i, I i'm not 100 percent sure that is a very okay. good question i uh, even thinking back to the first book i'm not sure either i have a voice in my head of what mbot sounds like and that voice happens to be male but but the, uh, i mean the, the book also genders him. i think it i think it does i think it does uh, I would also say, just based on Sanderson's other writing, I don't think he really tends to get into that type of topic too much. Well, he, the Chandra and Mistborn kind of talk about that. A little bit. He, I, I, I just think he tends to play it kind of safe and not really. But even the Chandra are, are binary creature, or, yeah. or at least have a binary understanding of gender, even, you know, that they that they switch back and forth and... Uh, they none of them really ever take the the they uh, approach that I remember. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because Milan was distinctively female, whereas like Tensun was male. Right. <laughs> yeah, I thought I got into it in the Wayne and Wax series, but I haven't read that. Maybe uh, I don't recall it very much. Okay. But okay. yeah, yeah I, I would say that generally, if there's like a shortcoming of Sanderson, it's that that sort of he doesn't really take those kinds of risks hmm. you know okay yeah because it's i mean when you when you mentioned uh imbot as a as a him uh it occurred to me it, it could be one of those things like it's funny it could fall anywhere on the spectrum right like it could be oh it's a person and it doesn't have a body so i'm just going to call it a, a him and that's that's kind of a lazy default or you know, well, if you called it a her, that could also be a lazy default because people, a lot of people call cars and ships she. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be a, as you know, equally thoughtless, or maybe he is thoughtful because you're countering that uh, default to calling your ship uh, she. Um, or maybe this person that is Imbot, like, you know, thought about it and made a choice. And that's why I asked, like, that was, that was the more like kind of considered option, but yeah, I guess maybe, maybe Sanderson doesn't, uh, reach into that very much. I don't know. 
I also think that if it was uh, talked about, it would have been in the first book, and I haven't read that in like two years now, so I just, I just don't recall. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I can look more closely at the book later and, and get back to you. <laughs> yeah. See if there's any he's or him's or if she just always calls them Mbot. I, I do actually distinctly remember uh I feel like Mbot being used a lot, like the actual term Mbot, Mbot. Oh, sure. So, so he it uh they might not have a gender. Yes. They might have used it now that I think about it. Yeah, it's really it's it, I don't I just don't recall. Okay. No worries. Hmm. All right. So what so, was the name and author of this book, Nick? Yeah, that's Starsight by Brandon Sanderson. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Very interesting uh, way to look at it. Yeah, I, I highly recommend that first one. It was really great. And a real surprise from Sanderson, who's like a big fantasy author. Right. Sci-fi stuff was really good. Uh, I know the actual inspiration for the book actually drew, uh, came from fantasy. Because he wanted to write like the boy and his uh, dragon type um, fantasy hmm. or uh, story, but instead wrote this. Well, <laughs> it's like because it's wow. it's the girl and her AI ship. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The relationship is there, just not a dragon. Yeah. Maybe, it's a, it's maybe not. Troll. I mean, I guess that would be a big twist in the third one. It's like actually, it was all dragons. Imbot <laughs> was a dragon all along. It could have too. Po- they pull a near automata and be so far in the future that there was a uh, that we went from medieval to future again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, that kind of just reminded me of um, Scott Westerfeld's Leviathan series. The Leviathan is a ship, but it is also a living, breathing creature. <sighs> I couldn't get yes. into it. I didn't like his other series. Uh, the uh, Uglies? Yeah. Well, that's probably because it was like a dystopian teen thing. I like, but I read it when I really was into that scene and I really hated it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, then. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Dan. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, speaking of books that you didn't like, uh, I read. <laughs> Wait, I read Hounded by Kevin here, and this is the first book in the Iron Druid Chronicles. Oh, I was like, what book did I didn't like? What book have I said that I hated? Uh, so the uh, I had the same trouble as Peter, I, I guess, or, or just in general, this this difficult time finding a book. So I went to Facebook and asked for recommendations, <laughs> and uh, this one was recommended to me uh, based on. Uh, me liking uh, the Dresden series, which is uh, urban fantasy, the same as this one uh, and features a lot of it's kind of a similar setup uh, to Dresden setup uh, in this one. Uh, Atticus O'Sullivan is the last of the Druids, and he lives in Arizona with uh, his dog Oberon. And uh, he is kind of like how Dresden is this wizard in uh, modern times, but is constantly interfacing with magical creatures and creatures of legend. Uh, Atticus is uh, hounded by uh. Um, uh, creatures <laughs> from Irish folklore, um, uh, kind of all over the place. Uh, there, th- it seems like uh, right up until the start of the novel, he's more or less been left alone for like many hundreds of years. So he's he's like a very old person who uh his personal history stretches all the way back to 
the beginning of civilization on Ireland. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'll just go through the plot really quickly. Like the uh, the the Irish gods that are after him um, are after him because he's in possession of a sword. Uh, a magic sword that can pierce any armor. Uh, and so he's been protecting this sword for centuries. Uh, and he's under the protection of uh, the kind of uh, death god of Irish folk court called the Morrigan, who is uh, a kind of like battle crow uh, figure who uh, can take the form of uh, a raven or uh, really well, just kind of a shapeshifter in general. And she's basically been refusing to take his soul to uh to the afterlife um because he needs to protect this sword and so they have this arrangement where he can't be killed essentially uh and so he's been living the centuries uh hiding from the more or less the rest of the um the sort of irish gods or or it's really unclear i guess because i was kind of unfamiliar with um irish mythology or or Irish um, uh, history, uh, whether these are gods or they're fae, I, I think the book tends to, to lean that they are just super powerful fae creatures. Um, and they're basically chasing him. So uh, even though he's been on the run for hundreds of years, uh, all of a sudden through the course of the book, they find him and he's got to go on the run through uh, Phoenix, Arizona, <laughs> which is where he lives. Um, and sounds super exotic. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, ultimately, you know, he, he deals with the issue and gets to the end of the book and things kind of reset sort of, uh, but let me, let me talk about, I guess, why I didn't enjoy this very much that, uh, I think like number one is just Atticus O'Sullivan himself as a character. He is, he, he, and, and unfortunately, I feel like I'm going to have to compare it to Dresden a lot because I feel like the books are super similar in how they're set up, but very different in how they're executed. So like Atticus is more or less like just a dude. Uh, he owns like a a, you know, a magic shop, essentially. And uh, he has that kind of thing going on, but he doesn't really interact with the people around him. He He doesn't really feel totally like connected to um, the human society that's around him. And in fact, in a lot of cases, he describes himself as kind of like above it and uh, kind of arrogant about how normal people, you know, just kind of go through their lives. Whereas like Dresden and that guy, he's like, you know, he's human. He's tied into the world. He's a detective. So he's out there like actively trying to help people. Whereas Atticus is has almost like disdain for normal people. And in fact, there's several occasions where uh, like, for instance, the Morrigan, who is this death God straight up murders some people that are like customers in his shop. And he does absolutely nothing to prevent it and uh, is more or less just like, hey, you can do what you want as long as you clean up these corpses on your own and don't involve me. Um, so I just found that very like off putting uh through through kind of the whole novel um that i just didn't really like atticus uh, like as a person because he was kind of awful 
I mean, uh, like from the moment that you said he was what thousands of years old, uh, I thought that he sounded really difficult to connect with, mm -hmm. um, and this only makes it worse. <laughs> it's like yeah. just like disenfranchised with humanity and just doesn't care anymore. Yeah, I mean, it seems that way. It um, I mean, obviously, there are people that he cares about um, in the neighborhood and people, the people that like sort of work directly for him at the magic shop. He will intervene for them. But if if he doesn't know you, he you know, if he doesn't have some connection to you, then he's not interested in your safety or or uh, really even trying to help you. Um, what would you consider his D&D &D alignment then? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, probably a uh, lawful neutral. Yeah. So boy, yeah, he, he has like that. a code that he responds to, but it is, and he tries to explain it as like, well, I grew up in this, uh, you know, time before, you know, I'm older than Christianity as a line. He drops a couple times and he's like, that was a brutal time period. And so I'm a brutal person who was sort of raised in that, which I don't know if you had, like a thousand years to I'd hope you'd evolve with the rest of us. It just sounds uh, like an excuse at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it totally comes off that way to me anyway. <laughs> or it sounds like he's whining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Unfortunately, I'm just dragging he, through mud. <laughs> no, I feel you're I mean, maybe you're just reacting to my bias against him or something. But yeah, oh, I do that all the time. So. About him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and unfortunately, the the worst aspect of his character is how he treats women, specifically oh. how the author also kind of treats them like Atticus through the course of like the first five chapters meets uh, two uh, Irish um, kind of fae goddesses and within like 10 minutes of meeting them, uh, they are both both of them get naked. And then he's having sex with one of them, like by, you know, almost right away. Uh, and not really, uh. he doesn't have to do anything to like gain their attention. They're just sort of like DTF, like right away and with no real explanation. Uh, luckily, I guess it doesn't really get into like um, the mechanicals of it. <laughs> But uh, lucky. Uh, yeah, it's just, it, you know, <laughs> through the whole thing, he it, it's just it, his arrogance, the the way women just sort of like dropped his feet. The, the villains of the piece, the most visible villains are witches. And so it seems like women are just kind of mostly disrespected through the course of the novel. Women are um, either evil or sex objects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, or they're like, there's a very old widow character that he sort of spends all his um, like Boy Scout appreciation for helping her across the street with her groceries or whatnot, which I guess is supposed to like make you feel good. But honestly, it just feels very hollow. And and uh, eventually, you know, when once he's got to like dispose of some corpses, of course, uh, he turns to her and she's like, well. Uh, you know, my whole family was killed in the troubles, so these guys are English. Uh, so I guess bury them in the backyard. So <laughs> it was very strange. Sure, why not? Yeah. 
so they don't have like I can't. Pr- I hope this is. I think I believe she's Irish, and I can't pronounce her name. So they don't have Skathach. Yeah, he was my uh, favorite. No, that that doesn't sound familiar. Uh, I just know her. Her legend is one of my favorites. Oh, so I'm sad. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is a huge series. I think there's like six or seven of these Iron Chronicles books. Um, wow. And you know, I got them suggested to me by people that I who usually I would agree with. Um, so I'm not really sure like what happened here, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I did not uh, especially enjoy this one. I don't think I will read any additional ones. Um, you know, even the plot, like, um, he's pretty much just running away from people through the whole story. At least, you know, I went back and actually, after I read this, I, I went back and listened to the first Dresden novel just because I wanted to make sure I wasn't romanticizing that novel. I mean, and, uh, you know, Jim Butcher is not like great with his female characters but it's nothing close to what this one does um Mm -hmm. and that novel like the plot of it is interesting it has layers there's multiple threads that kind of pass through the whole series that you're trying to find out who the villain is and this one you know the villain right from the beginning his his plan is just he keeps throwing bad guys at the hero who in a process a few fight scenes dispatches them easily um in Dresden, you know, like Dresden has to like prepare and the sort of like CSI yeah, yeah. process of magic is interesting. And Dresden is constantly losing. That's yes, right. 100%. Dresden is like always struggling to succeed. Whereas O'Sullivan here is more or less just has to take a nap uh, <laughs> on some some natural space and he recharges and can kind of do almost anything again without any sort of preparation or the preparation that he did, he did like 200 years ago, (sighs) magic tattoos, you know, so uh, we don't really, really learn about those until all of a sudden he's them. Right. Very convenient. Um, I was going to say, Jim uh, Butcher has been criticized with his female characters. I don't feel like they're too, too bad. There's some iffy ones there. Um, But Dresden is also constantly called out on his shit sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's like, stop being a crap person, which a lot of people, sometimes you fall into being a rut. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, with Dresden, I feel like the biggest complaint that you can level at him is that he he is uh you know old he claims to be old-fashioned he uh you know has these sort of like regressive ideas about how women should be treated or what their place is and those don't really evolve as the series goes on but i feel like they're character specific whereas the way women are treated in in hounded um it feels authorial yeah that's right yeah, it's the uh, in Dresden. It's the character of Dresden versus Jim Butcher's voice. And I mean, of course, like there's there is authorial intent in the nature of Dresden's character, but it's not like every character through the whole book with every woman. And it kind of felt that way with this one. Mm-hmm. So since I didn't, I, I, I don't know. Do you guys have any questions about this book? I'm going to go somewhere else if you don't. No, uh, no I'd, I'd like to hear less about it. 
Okay, good. <laughs> I don't care. Because I, I would like to go through. Uh, I did because I did go out to the internet and ask for recommendations. I did get a bunch of them, and so I have talked to these guys uh, before. So if you are interested in reading about animal companions, here are a bunch of books. Um, and I don't have authors necessarily for all of these, but uh, people suggested uh, the Farseer trilogy. Yep. Um, the uh, His Dark Materials, which we didn't talk about, which is a lot of animal companions where everybody's oh, yeah, born with like right. a demon that is uh, a little animal. Yeah, I would argue that's not animal companions because the character is actually the, also the character because it's their soul. It's, it's like a, a piece of them or something. It's their yeah. like their their conscience. So huh. it's a little hard the outside. Yeah. yeah, a little different. Uh, we've got um, Tamara Pierce's The Immortals Quartet, which I've yeah. never heard of, but uh, the, there are like four or five people here all singing the praises of uh, The Immortals Quartet. So I assume mm-hmm. that's four books. Uh, the Temeraire series comes up, Rachel, which I think you've started. Uh, yeah, I'm on book four. <laughs> oh, wow, <nine>. okay. <laughs> Out of how many? Now I'm curious. Nine. Nine. <laughs> Started. You're almost halfway done. Well, I have... My friend uh, is reading them behind me, so I gotta go fast. <laughs> Ooh, that uh, sounds let's... like a lot of pressure. <laughs> nah. They're only about three, four hundred pages. Okay. I have some sci-fi recommended here, which is uh, In the Cube by David Alexander Smith, which features um, a fuzzy mammal friend, apparently. That one's a little hard to find. I actually wanted to read that one, but I couldn't find an ebook version of that. Um, If you you like romance, uh, my uh, friend and author Piper J. Drake writes a My True Heroes series, which I shared some book covers with you guys which are pretty great. They feature mostly military guys uh, in romance, but they all have like uh, military dogs that they work with. Cute, cute puppets. Oh, that mm-hmm. one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're romance. So they're, the covers are great in every series, especially Piper's really good. Oh, one. I was just confused. Cause I was like, you shared covers with us. What is this? That was a while ago. Yeah. When we were first talking about this one. Yeah. Uh, so and an author I reviewed, ago before um uh which is uh hogan uh um which i did back in our war episode i reviewed a book of hers but she has another book called um holding the ashes uh which has uh death raven companions uh through the whole book for most of the main characters i'm sorry they're what death ravens death the best kind of describe them yeah huh okay so lots of stuff out there, but yeah, it was tricky to uh, nail down this month, but we did it. We all, we got through. We sure years. nailed it. Yeah. What are, we, <laughs> what are we doing next month for telling, to tell me? Cause I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't remember what our next month theme was. Oh, uh, let's consult the spreadsheet. Oracle. <laughs> the Oracle spreadsheet. I don't, I don't have Oracle. I'm just have a. Normal Google Drive. So F bomb. Uh next week's or next sorry, next month's uh tomorrow lost. So I think lost. Nick, you came up with lost. Yeah. Okay. So what yeah. is this theme, Lost? I think uh, you know, I think the idea of like uh, one of the ones I think of is like the book Hatchet almost, right? Which Rachel talked about in the past. Uh I think sort of just like 
out on your own, uh, lost from where you were, trying to figure it out. I almost think uh, the the book Rachel read this month would work as well for Tao. Uh, the Rage of Dragons, in a way. Like emotionally lost. Emotionally lost, yeah. So it can uh, mean a lot of things. I like, our th- I like our themes loose, you know? Mm-hmm. It's up to interpretation. We'll f- find out next month to figure out what book we talk and what interpretation <laughs> we took. Yeah, yes. you know, why not? Next, I'm just going to read next a book that features a theme lost to find out what we mean by lost. Yes. <laughs> uh, I watched Lost the show. Oh and I was God. lost. Is yeah, there a, is there a novelization right. of Lost that I can read? There pr- might be, but don't though. I would I would imagine an entire page would just be a list of numbers, and then there might be like a picture of a polar bear somewhere. Yeah. Uh, a show, another show I've never seen. It's fine. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. You're 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 better off. <laughs> I mean, you oh, could watch season one and then put it down, and that'd be pretty much like the highlights. That's like uh, what I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I don't. I don't feel like doing that. So no. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Don't do it. Um, uh, it. It sounds like we've talked about books. Yep. I think okay. so. I think we we did it. Uh, Yay! What is our stuff do that we, we do? We plug. I don't know. Sure. Let's talk about the things that we do, Katie. Yes. What's your things that people can find you on? They can find me on Twitter at at Shimmy Book. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> took me a second there. It's like oh, flipping through all of my usernames and stuff. Um, or if you guys want to like follow me on Goodreads, I'm Katie Willis. I have a last name. Do you? <laughs> Sometimes. Anyway. We'll start using it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just pretty much those two. Uh, All right, Dan. Dan? Uh, you can find uh, me and my things at DanielEvinson.com. Uh, don't forget to come to our uh, daughter podcast, sister podcast. I don't mean to gender the podcast. Sorry, uh, subcast. <laughs> our subcast, our Nostalgia child. Plus. <laughs> Where you can uh, watch us uh, listen to old things uh, that are new. <laughs> we just have old people on the show talk. <laughs> when I was your age, uh, it was the year two thousand and four. Rachel, uh, I you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at at Argent Rabe. If you need to spell that, it's probably in the description. I don't know. Nick, is it in the description? Yeah, that's yeah, there. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I could tell I don't do any of the um editing portion of this. <laughs> Nick. Um yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh at Tacky Slacks. I'm also on uh Goodreads and Letterboxd for book and movie reviews. Oh, and you. uh and I'm Peter and you can find me on Twitter at Shoeless Pete or uh com or shoelesspetegames.com. And uh, where do people send email for this show? Yeah, you can email us at too many thoughts media at gmail.com. Uh, please do send us your thoughts. We read every single one of them. You can also leave a comment uh, or bookshelf message. pictures. Yes, yes, yes I forget. Bookshelf pictures. Photos of her bookshelves, or of, sorry, of your bookshelves so that she can drool over them. It gets Katie through the week, seriously. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, you can reach out to us on any social. We will uh, we we check all the messages and we will reply. So. <laughs> Or if you want a custom uh, plan for a custom bookshelf, you can also email that to Katie. She'll draw, draw you something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, for maybe, I don't know. Wait, are we supposed to do a uh, rate and subscribe and tell your friends by word of mouth or something? Uh, that That's perfect. We're putting that in. If you yeah. want to, it'd be really nice. <laughs> we would appreciate the review on Apple. I think that's the only one that allows reviews. Apple, do yeah. it or suffer. I don't think people who, uh, I don't think people actually realize how actually vital it is. Like Apple podcast reviews are like the lifeblood of any podcast, and uh, we don't ask for them enough. To be honest, I don't think so. I realize how vital they are. That that is uh, sort of the make or break for uh, what defines like a. A good podcast in a lot of ways. So Rate and uh, subscribe or we die. <laughs> yeah, eat all the stars. Give us your five stars. We eat the stars to live. I totally don't go <laughs> randomly onto Apple iTunes and be like, did somebody review us? Nope. Well, continuing <laughs> on with my day. Oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> so so please help us patch Rachel's heart back together. Please review and rate us. And, and we will uh, give you a shout out. And send us photos of your bookshelves. Patch my sad grad student heart up. <laughs> That's right. Okay, well, see you next month with uh, the theme Lost. And until then, please keep reading. Keep reading.